from recruiting and consulting firm Riderflex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your Riderflex podcast episode of the day. On today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have guest Nick Mercadante. He's the founder and CEO of Pursue Care. They're a telemedicine healthcare provider working to solve the nation's growing opioid epidemic. Why, why didn't I invest in Zoom in like February of 2020, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I always tell my spiel about how I, you know, we didn't plan for a, a, a pandemic for our own business and our, you right. know, how we've now become indispensable. But then I think I'm like, if I was so smart, I would have gone around and invested in Zoom. I would have, you know. <laughs> totally. Nick Mercadante on the Rider Flex podcast. Nick, welcome. Thanks for having me. Are you in Connecticut today? Yeah, I am. I am uh, sitting in our three quarters empty office uh, at the moment. Most of our team is, uh, you know, it's like everybody else. They're working from home and, and remote, but we're, we've got a pretty remote group anyway. So uh, we're kind of built that way. So Nick, you guys um, were semi kind of remote anyway, so it didn't blow you up when everybody had to go remote? No, I mean, look, I think I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, <laughs> Like it caught everybody by surprise, I think. Right. And everybody had to react to it. But we were fortunate in that we have team members that were already working from home. I have always been very comfortable, as it, just in terms of, um, you know, the, the the common concerns about working from home are, you know, technology. Can you do it? Um, right. It, it, we're all cloud based. We designed our company that way, so that was never an issue. All of our people have laptops. They were all kind of ready to, you know, to plug in. But the other big concern that I think a lot of people have, maybe it's that it's um, maybe it's people dating themselves a little bit, but it's that people can't work at home, right? They're not productive. They can't separate, you know, their their home from their work and things like that. And I don't think that's the case anymore. People are working all the time. They're on their phones, checking email, you know, if they're anything Agreed. like me at ten in Agreed. the uh, ten ten in the morning, ten at night. So. Um, uh, it, it wasn't a huge transition for us. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're in Connecticut now. Uh, you grew up there. I, did you grow up on the East coast? Okay. All right. Tell us, yeah, tell, I, us tell us a little bit about your family and, and where you grew up in some early years. Go for it. Yeah. Well, so I was born in North Carolina. Um, my, um, so my family, my father is an Italian immigrant, okay. um, you know, off the boat, Ellis Island, Wow, cool. uh, grew up in upstate New York. His father was an artist. He's uh, kind of part of the the resistance fighters uh, during World War II. Wow, got out of Italy, you know, defected and got out of Italy, and ended up uh, as an artist for Corning Glassworks. So my father, you know, he came in through Ellis Island. They started um, in the Bronx, and then they moved north um, to upstate New York. Really didn't speak much English until you know, he got it to school age and was around people speaking English. So, uh, you know, I remember distinctly when I was a little kid being around my grandparents and, you know, they barely spoke English. Right. Um, but you, do you still speak it? Can you speak Italian now? I can speak Italian, but it's ugly and nobody would <laughs> like hearing it. Um, I can, I always say I understand it better than I can speak it. And if I'm in Italy, then I'm forced to speak it. And then I, I loosen up a little bit, but yeah, I okay. do, uh, <laughs> and and um, if we were doing this, I'll put it this way: if we were doing the podcast in Italian, people wouldn't be understanding half of what I say. Okay, all right. 
All right. You, so yeah, you guys, so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, so my father, um, you know, when he was, uh, got to college age, he knew he wanted to be a pharmacist and, oh. um, cause he worked in pharmacies when he was a kid. Okay. And so then he, um, you know, he went to pharmacy school and he caught on with Rite Aid and they kind of moved him around the country a little bit. So I was born in North Carolina. My brother was born in New Jersey and then my sister was born in um, Massachusetts. And then we kind of settled in in Connecticut and that's where um, uh, we stayed. Gotcha. And that's All where right. I still am. <laughs> All right. All right. So one brother, one sister. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what'd your mom do? Was she, was she a homemaker or did she uh, go ahead? She is uh, she was a lab tech and um, then uh, uh, yeah, she became, she's, became a stay at home mom and took care of us and made sure we ended up, uh, you know, uh, well fed and well taken care of. So when you said your mom was a lab tech, what happened? Your dad walked in to where they were making the, filling some bottles and he's like, Hey, excuse me, what's your name? How'd that go? <laughs> so they actually, they actually grew up together. They met in oh. high school. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. and then they just kind of ended up in the same, you know, line of work or, similar line line of work in healthcare and, and oh, uh, all right all right so yeah <laughs> all right no, so, i know that would have been a, a cooler story uh, though right <laughs> yeah it would have been that would have been okay so then you go to fairfield college um did you know at that time you were going to go to law school or was that the plan well, talk to me uh you know i i went to so um i, I went to college to play hockey oh <laughs> well, did you did you go on scholarship I, so I, I had a, a little partial scholarship, just cool. small. Cool. Um, cool. So, you were, so you were pretty good in high school then. I wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm too small. So I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I'm five foot six. So I don't know. I'm not uh, really. And I'm a goalie. You don't see many five, six goalies making it to the, uh, the big time. So, no, I, I got recruited a little bit. I really was like kind of too big for my britches and was like, I need I want to go to a division one program. Okay. So I ended up at Fairfield. I love okay. Fairfield, but Fairfield is not a true division one program. And it mm. showed because after two years, they cut the, they cut the hockey program. Oh, and, oh, okay. You know, that was effective. I, then it became those who can't do coach. And so I started coaching and that was the end of my oh. hockey career. Okay. So. Okay. What, what'd you coach? Did you coach high school? Did you go little league? What, what'd you coach? Yeah, I coached high school. Um, oh, cool. It was, um, uh, you know, almost, so I, I hurt my knee my freshman year of college. I, I never really got off the ground with the program there. So I already was kind of looking at like, okay, should I transfer? Should I try to keep playing somewhere? And I talked to my coach from high school that coached me and he said, why don't you come and work with, with our kids? Um, you kind of have a personality of somebody who would do well with coaching. I said, well, I what does that it. mean? And they said, yeah. well, you, and he said, well, you think the game better than you play it. And I'm like, <laughs> Fair enough. So that's how I ended up in coaching. So yeah, I did that for about a decade. Um, wow. Okay. Know? All right. But you majored yeah. in poly, you, you're a political science major, right? It's politics. And so was that because you wanted to go to law school? Well, so, you know, I, I didn't really know. I wasn't quite sure. I, I went okay. to Fairfield and I entered the business school and then I ended up graduating with a poli sci degree. I see. And I think, Probably at the time, I, I, you know, business school is hard. So I kind of probably was like, I want the easier route. I'm, <laughs> I'm better at writing than numbers. So let me check out poli sci. And, you know, I probably, 
you know, I, I, I had those like flashes of like, yeah, I'll go to law school, I'll become a lawyer. And, but I really, you know, when I graduated, I was really focused on, I did um, uh, the college radio station. And, oh. um, you know, I, I did some on-air stuff and I helped kind of run the station. And so I cool. really liked that. So for a while I was like, I want to go work in radio. Really? And, um, yeah, yeah. And so right after I graduated, I'm like, you know, like a lot of college kids, like, what the hell am I going to do? So I went and went to work for a radio station. I did sales. And then I did like, uh, every once in a while, if they needed like a fill in on weekends or overnights, I'd get on the air. Oh, and I did that for about a year. That's cool. uh, Do you have, do you have any of those old tapes? No, no. You know, I have the one, I definitely have the ones from college, uh, somewhere. Okay. Okay. They might actually be tapes. Like set, <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> I just, I just, I just dated myself by saying tapes. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's cool. All right. All right. So then, all right, go ahead. So then you're doing that. You're, you're having fun. And what happens? Well, then I wasn't making enough money uh, <laughs> because I wasn't a, a very good salesman in terms of selling advertising to car dealerships and stuff like that, I guess. So um, I decided to go and work for the family business and, um, and, uh, you know, go work with my father who was running a, a pharmacy company. Oh, that's what the, so on your LinkedIn profile, family meds, that's what that is. That's, that uh, is exactly right. Yeah. Uh, was your dad like the CEO or what the founder or what was the status? Yeah. There? So he, um, so I mentioned he, he was working with Rite Aid for a while and he was in regional management, finally kind of settled in Connecticut, met a, a, a guy, um, who had some, some money and wanted to grow a pharmacy business. He had one okay. pharmacy in Plainville, Connecticut. Okay. And, you know, my dad had the, the, the know-how of, from Rite Aid and said, well, let me go into business with you. Uh, and I'll be the sweat equity, right? I'll be the yep. one who grows right. this thing. Yep. And you give me ownership over time through my work. So it started from one pharmacy and grew to a national uh, pharmacy chain and eventually a public company. Uh, before wow. it was sold to Walgreens. So how about how about that? That's great, man. What a success story! You, your dad comes through Ellis Island. He ends up busting ass, talking some guy into. He was a salesman too, because he talked some guy into letting him do the sweat equity piece, and then ends up taking a company and taking a company to an exit, a successful exit. Good for him, man. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All, so. all right. But, but at some point, so you're working for the, for the business there in sales, but at some point you're like, yeah, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know wh what it was, was, so when I got in, I think, you know, the thing I, I always joke, my sister who's younger than me and I think much smarter than I am. She became a pharmacist like my dad, very okay. kind of analytical driven. Um, and then my brother is an artist. Uh, he's Ooh, in wow. the middle. He, he he's, was yeah okay yeah he's the outlier yeah, he's the, okay yeah he, well I guess he's like my grandfather I don't know but he's the outlier right he's yeah. a, a commercial film director and then you know for me I've always been um, you know kind of a problem solver and I think I, I I try I try to you know put myself in the shoes of other people and figure out how we can address a need. Okay. And so when I got to working in the pharmacy very quickly, I was like, I don't want to just do like sales type stuff. Mm -hmm. I was in the business development department. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to do like sales type stuff. I don't want to figure out, you know, where we should put things on the racks so that somebody picks the right, picks the, the, yeah. the highest margin supplement. Right. Yeah. Right. 
I want to do something something more innovative. I want to do things with delivery models and and how can we innovate pharmacy to um, to deliver something that's truly different and extraordinary from the ordinary CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid type of experience. Okay. Um, so that's where I kind of first cut my teeth in, in, in that. And that's carried on through my whole career. Right, right. Well, what about the law school piece? Where'd that come in? Well, the company got sold to Walgreens. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Yeah, we, um, you know, when I was working at Family Meds, we did some really neat things when I was there. Um, we launched a pharmacy kiosk program um, where we would actually put, um, uh, we would put like a, a video conferencing kiosk. I think this was before telehealth was a word. Um, right. You know, we put kiosks at the point of care in doctor's offices so that when you walk out of the doctor's office, you walk up to the kiosk, you scan the script through if you had, had a paper script, you talk with the pharmacy staff, and then you go about your day. You know, you go home or go to work and you get your meds delivered. That's something that should be around right now. Um, yes. <laughs> and we thought it was great. And we, you know, I, I helped roll it out across New England. But then uh, in 2007, um, we had grown into a public company. Uh, we had a distribution group. We had the pharmacies. We had the kiosks. And Walgreens came along and, and said, we want to buy the company. And we were struggling to compete against them, quite frankly. Okay. So we sold it. And they shuttered the project. And so at that point... Interesting. You know, I I had a choice. Do I want to go out to Chicago and work for Walgreens and kind of be no. tucked in somewhere, no. or no. do I want to go in a different direction? So that's when I said, "Let me go to law school." Ah, gotcha. Okay, yeah. You by that point, you had worked with your dad. You had the entrepreneurial bug. I mean, there's no way you could just go be an employee for Walgreens at that point. No, no, hell no. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So you go to law school. You get out of law school. Walk us through because you before you started you know, the company that you're running, Pursue Care, you did a couple of things in the, in the legal field. Walk us through a little bit of the early career before you get into Pursue Care. Yeah, so, you know, I, when I went to law school, um, it was a lot of, you know, people, hey, you should think about being a lawyer. <laughs> you know, you're, you're good at problem solving. You can make an argument. You're a pain in the ass. You should, <laughs> you should you should go to law school. I wanted to go to law school because truthfully, I, I kind of had the option of should I go pursue, you know, business school and do an MBA or, right. or should I go to law school? And what I was seeing was so many people were going and getting their MBAs that I felt like, you know, is that going to differentiate me? And so I went to law school with the idea of I don't know if I want to be a lawyer forever. I know I want to practice law mm -hmm. and I know that I want to be in healthcare, but um I don't know if I want to be like a trial lawyer for the next 30 years in a law firm, right? Okay. Okay. So when I, when I came out of law school, I kind of had this broad base of experience. You know, I did moot court trial team. I did it. I got an international law certificate. I spent a semester in Germany um, doing mediation and, in, in, uh, you know, arbitration dispute resolution. So I had this kind of neat broad base of experience. And so I said, well, I, I'd like to do something more in the boutique area where I can really work closely with clients and, and um, uh, in particular, get myself into healthcare. And, you know, what they don't tell you when you go to law school is that the job market is fiercely competitive and it's hard to go find that kind of niche and, job and, where you get to do exactly what you want to do. Right. Mm -hmm, right. Um, so when I graduated from law school, I didn't get 
you know, it's not like, oh, cool, I graduated, now I get to do exactly what I want to do. You know, I had to go apply and get told like, yeah, okay, you're in over your head, you need to first learn how to be a lawyer. So I worked for a little, uh, a little shop here in uh, Connecticut, I kind of cut my teeth, teeth doing um, complex litigation. So it was a lot of like, um, uh, mass like class action lawsuits and things like that. Okay. Um, what it did give me a lot of insight to was um, the risk side of healthcare mm. and understanding mm-hmm. where things go wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Good. I got to see it from the patient side. And so I thought that was unique because um, it, it, it's informed a lot of my career, which is, you know, trying to deliver good care to patients. You, you can't do it if you don't know what the patients go through. Mm-hmm. So seeing it from the other side gave me some neat experience. So Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then, at, so and, then I, at some, and then at some point, med options came, that door opened for you. Yeah. So I, um, I worked, I, I switched sides. I guess I switched sides as a lawyer for a little bit. I was working on the insurance side doing risk management. Okay. And then I started kind of uh, opening up, you know, I kind of hung a shingle and was taking in my own clients All right. Um, on the side and just helping with like risk and compliance and, you know, things that healthcare uh, any healthcare practice goes through in terms of um, watching your own back, right? At that and, moment, uh, can I pa- can I pause you right there, Nick? At that moment, at that stage in your life, are you laying in bed at night thinking, "I want to be a founder of my own company and 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 you know start my own thing and telehealth"? And is any of that in your mind at this point, at this stage in your life? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so (laughs) my entire, I feel like through my entire career, I've always wanted to have the responsibility of being the person who's driving it forward, whether it's from an entrepreneurial standpoint or even taking over, you know, something that, Hey, it needs to be restructured. It needs to be rethought. Mm. I like to kind of, again, problem solve take things apart, put them back together and figure out a better way to do it. Sometimes mm-hmm. though, as you're going through your career, you don't get to skip the steps, right? That's, that's true. And all the things that you did before you were a founder helped to make it easier. Not that it's easy. I don't want that came out wrong, but yeah, the, the experience you did gain was, was good. Cause I've seen guys try to be founders of a company before they've had any experience and then they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, well, I see it all the time in healthcare. You get people, I mean, look, some of them are great. They're smart people, but you know, you go get an MBA, you have a great idea, you come out, somebody gives you a, a wad of cash and they say, go start your company. And then two right. years later, it's yeah. not, it's not there anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it was all good experience for you for sure. Okay. So you were, you did have those thoughts. And of course you had the, you know, your dad was an entrepreneur. He had started something that that's, that's in, that's in there too, right? That's in your yeah. conscious. Like, Hey, I yeah. want to, if my dad did, I want to, I want to make my dad proud. I can do it too. Right. That had to be in there a little bit. Yeah. Well, and, and also I'm Italian and I, I like, I'll be the first to, to tell anybody I'm, I'm fortunate that I grew up, uh, you know, um, with, um, you know, a father like that, who's very driven and, and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. really bootstrapped his way to success made my life a lot easier, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. But I also am the son of an Italian immigrant. So so I had to yeah. work hard. He didn't, he didn't make life easy for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to um, guess, I'm going to guess it wasn't all just uh, rosy and super easy and you could just no. chill, chill and not doing anything. <laughs> no, I was mopping far. I was mopping pharmacy <laughs> floors when I was like 
11 years old, you know? Um, yeah, but, uh, uh, but you know, the, 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 I think the, the story behind it is that, um, that I always kind of, I, because I grew up ingrained in healthcare and in, ingrained in, you know, entrepreneurial experiences and, and thinking about how to deliver care in the best way possible, it informed some of my career path that went like this, but then I ended up moving towards probably what I was always uh, designed to be doing anyways. Yeah. It, I, I, as you tell the story, I mean, the map, it's just mapping itself right towards where, where you're at now for sure. So when you're at this company, Med Options, you went in as general counsel, they end up seeing your operational GM type skill sets thinking, wait a minute, he can do a lot more than just be our lawyer. You get promoted to president and COO at some point. But in 2018, somewhere you see an opportunity. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stepping out. I'm going to, I'm going to start my own thing. Walk us through that transition right there. If you don't mind. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, when I was president and COO uh, at MedOptions, we had already gone through, my, during my entire time there, we had gone through this phenomenal growth phase okay. from a regional okay. practice to really a national practice. And, but along the way, you know, we were innovating what we were doing, and, but we were also doing things out of necessity. And so one of the things, MedOptions is for frame of reference is behavioral healthcare and skilled nursing facilities. And okay. it, it's a company that in, integrates behavioral health services into the skilled nursing setting where they're usually under-resourced and they don't have it. And one thing that I was seeing, and it really started in 2016, 2017, it started to bubble up is, you know, if, as you could imagine, when you're providing behavioral health care in a nursing facility, it's mostly elderly patients. So it's a lot of Medicare reimbursement. Okay. And that's great. 85% of your business is Medicare. You're getting reimbursed. Things are fine. 14 day pay cycles. Everything's cool. What happened is 2016, 2017, it started to change a little bit. Uh, and we noticed it on the revenue side. Um, and our investors noticed it, quite frankly. We had more and more patients that were Medicaid patients. Okay. which is abnormal because you think of Medicaid, it's not elderly populations. It's usually populations that, that don't have or can't afford mm -hmm. a health plan. They may not have a job, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And the reimbursement started coming down, right? As a result, because Medicaid doesn't pay quite as much on I average. I see. Okay. And so as I'm looking, as I was looking into it, you know, I started to see, okay, it, we're also getting further and further out into rural America, you know, into Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, states like that. And in, in looking at the patients, they were becoming much younger, mm -hmm. much younger. I see, where um, this, I see where this is headed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we're going, okay, why are they becoming younger? And, mm -hmm. and they're more acute, higher instances of substance use disorder. And we're at this point, we're actually doing a lot of this treatment through telehealth because we can't even find behavioral health providers in the region to go to the nursing homes. Nursing I homes see. are really challenging environments, right? And so, you know, uh, there's a scarcity of behavioral health in this country on a good day, never mind what people that want to go into nursing homes. So we're doing things via telehealth. We're seeing younger and younger patients, more acute patients, patients with substance use. We're getting asked to do things that we don't really do per se, mm -hmm. and we're not equipped to do it. And so, you know, I had a little bit of a, a to just be perfectly blunt about it, I had a tug of war or difference of opinion with, with um, uh, 
you know, with some of our investors about some of the things we had to do to really operationalize and handle this growing demand and provide better care. Okay. And I think, I, I think it, you know, exposed some inadequacies, but more than anything, what it was telling me was there's something else here that I think I could be addressing. Yep. Opportunity. Um, opportunity. Opportunity. Right exactly. Yep. And so that's, you know, in 2018, I started talking uh, about the topic. Actually, it was really in 2017, but heading into 2018, I started talking about the topic uh, with my father, um, who uh, at, at the time actually was doing his own telehealth uh, practice, working with skilled nursing facilities. Wow. So, uh, and then I start, also started talking with Tom Menigan, who um, is, he just ret uh, retired as the CEO of the American Pharmacists Association. I see. And Tom is from Huntington, West Virginia, which is okay. right smack in the middle of the opioid epidemic. Sure is. And, yep. um, so he got it right away. And he said, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. This is an issue. It's an issue of scarcity. It's an issue of fractured care models and a lack of access to care. If there's no game in town, then people end up in a skilled nursing facility in a free fall uh, wow. detoxing. Wow. I never, you and know, so I'm that's sure, when I'm we started. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. I never, I never thought about it like that, but just for the listeners, when they're listening to the podcast, yeah, that that's, that's what's happening. You, a young person addicted to opioids, nobody there to really help them, the state or whatever, they don't, nobody knows what to do. So boom, they stick them in a, a retirement center, which is probably where they shouldn't be. And they're not going to get the help they need. Wow. Okay. I'm just, yeah, they just have nurses, you yeah, know, that's, nurses that's, taking care of them and that's it. That's, that's, that's really hitting, hitting me. I never, I never thought about it like that until you, okay. Wow. That's pretty powerful. All right. So you're seeing this, you're talking to uh, a couple of gentlemen that you know really well and have some cash. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So then you're pitching them. When do, when do you officially say, I want to start a business and here's my, here's my pitch deck. I need, I need X. So did you, did you raise cash right away or did you bootstrap? How'd you do it? So, uh, um, so the funny thing is, is we kind of, we started really circling around the concept of what we wanted to do with, with pursue care. And I, I was really adamant that it has to be a comprehensive um, treatment model that's really brought directly to the patient where the patient gets a choice in it. Okay. And so I was really high on the concept and the funny thing about, uh, you know, my father and, and maybe Tom too, he might not like, uh, like hearing it, but you know, they, they, you know, they liked it so much, they kind of made it their idea too. So I'm uh, still at Med Options, and they're going, uh, uh, hey, maybe we should really move on this. You know, uh, maybe we should really do something about this. And so it started, it, while I courted them, then they started courting me. And then, um, you uh -huh. know, I said, okay, you know, the timing was right. Um, uh, you know, I felt like I had kind of hit the end of my run at Med Options. And um, so, I exited stage left and I started working on this in August of 2018 with them. We bootstrapped it um, for, I don't know, f like three or four months. And then we went out and got some uh, investment and we went to, you know, some people that we knew that, um, that believed in us and that had, had success with us in the past and they were willing to put some seed capital behind it. So mm, we raised good. the money in January, 2019. 2000 now and you've you've taken another round since then right you took on another round in march of 20 by the way when i saw march of 2020 for your round i was like holy shit 30 days later and that probably wouldn't have come in <laughs> yeah yeah 
Well, yeah, and now with the way that the markets have gone, maybe, you know, 90 days later and we would have gotten a crazy valuation that we probably hadn't have earned yet, right? That's that's true too, um, right? Yeah, wow. Interesting. Okay, right here is probably a good time. So for the listeners, so Pursue Care, give us the, give us the you know, two, three minute elevator pitch for, for all sure. those folks that have no idea what we're talking about. Go for it. Sure. So Pursue Care uh, at its core is... Uh, technology-enabled substance use disorder and behavioral health treatment services. We focus on rural populations, uh, and the idea or the concept behind it is that we deliver our care using telehealth as the modality. It's not something that we just adopted from a brick-and-mortar clinic um, uh, setting or, or in-person care. That's actually how we deliver all of our care, substantially all of it, is through telehealth. Uh, we developed our own app, uh, to deliver care. So it's a patient facing app that's designed specifically for the populations we treat. It works at very low bandwidth um, and is uh, very limited on data. So we have a lot of patients that have limited data plans or track phones uh, that have to be able to access care, you know, in, in rural areas, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the, the core of the, the service offering, you know, we're not just digital health or an app that leads somebody on their sobriety, we are treatment. So um, we have doctors that provide medications for recovery, common medications like Suboxone or, or um, buprenorphine-based medications for opioid use disorder. Okay. Uh, we have counselors and therapists uh, to treat the whole person. Uh, and then we also have our own pharmacy that can ship meds and deliver meds directly to patients. Um, we so, do, uh, and it's 100% focused on recovery and mental health, which is a hugely stigmatized area, even from pharmacies. And you'll, you, you can look, there's Washington Post and New York Times articles about how a lot of pharmacies essentially discriminate against people with substance use disorder. They turn them away. Really? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just, it goes along with the, the broader picture that, you know, uh, we treat substance use disorder and people with substance use disorder uh, like it's a criminal issue uh, mm -hmm. or a moral issue, not mm -hmm. like it's a healthcare and treatment issue. Mm -hmm. um, and so That's we're powerful. trying to change that dynamic mm -hmm. uh, with what we do. So um, let me, uh, can I stop you for just a second and repeat back what I've heard so far real quick? an opioid addicted person in small town, Missouri. I don't want to give a bunch of hate mail from all my friends in Missouri from a small town of Missouri. Um, can download this app, sign up to be a user or a client or whatever you call them. And they can do three things. They can, a, they can talk to their doctor on the screen, on the phone. They can talk to a doctor over video yeah. on the phone then that doctor can also can also prescribe the medicine and they can use the app to get their medicine and get refills. And they can also use the app to sign up for a counselor that will also talk to them over video yep. on the app. Yep. Yeah. And we, um, that's exactly right. And we, we tie it all together with care coordinators. Those are kind of like oh, your, I see. Um, okay, great. Great. Yeah. They're people that are really the advocate for the patient. Um, okay. So, you know, if you're a patient, you can do exactly like you described. Just go to the app store, download the app, and get yourself started. Okay. 
but we still we believe in human intervention and we think that that having somebody who's going to reach out reach out to you and say hey can we help you on this journey and they're in your corner and they're usually um they could be mm -hmm. peer support or they could be a counselor themselves uh, uh -huh. but they're not treating they're they're a navigator in they're many navigator. respects yeah perfect right. perfect which which i'm guessing a lot of these types of patients need they need that because they need that navigator to navigator to call them and, and say hey I noticed you, you talked to the doctor, but you know, you haven't filled the script yet, or right. uh, you look like you were going to sign up for a counselor, but you, you didn't ever get one or you didn't show. Yeah. They need that navigator. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be simple stuff. I mean, anybody uh, struggles with uh, why didn't my insurance cover this? Right. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. so that's the, that person who is tied to the patient or tethered to the patient and helps them. And, and then we also, you know, we fill in the gaps too. So 60% of people with substance use disorder have some um, uh, broader behavioral health uh, disorder as well that might require psychiatric medication. So we mm -hmm. can do that as well. Okay. Um, and, you know, all of this, the whole point of this is get care where it isn't, right? And make yeah. it as convenient as possible. Break down barriers so people can access it on their time and on their terms. And, and, and really not, so much is like, okay, you have this debilitating disease of right. opioid use disorder that yeah. is controlling really your everyday life. Now get yourself up and go to the doctor, <laughs> I, go to the doctor, go to the counselor, go to the pharmacy, and somehow hold down a job and somehow right. take care of your kids, yes. right? And get transportation, you know, and I, I, if I had to spend three to six hours a week at a clinic, I would not be sitting here talking to you right now as a CEO of a company. It's not mm -hmm. possible. And I know plenty of people with opioid use disorder who are in, you know, high level positions or whatever you want to call it that if they had a service like this, they might've been able to get through and not had that big step back in their life. Right. Um, so not, not to mention, not to mention small town America where you they're going to the clinic where Sally and Johnny work the front desk who they know from church and they don't even want to go to the clinic because now Sally and Johnny's going to know that they're in there for yep. the opioid stuff and they don't want to share that. So now it's an embarrassment thing for them too. I would just imagine not only debilitating, but the, the embarrassment that they might feel or the shame that they might feel. I'm not saying they should feel that, but I'm guessing they do at some point. This allows them to work around that. They don't have to worry about, quote, being seen or whatever in small town, small town West Virginia, right? Yeah. They can just do it at home and they can do it on their own time. And, you know, maybe it's they step out for their lunch break and hop in their car and sit on their phone and talk with their counselor for mm -hmm. 30 minutes. You know, maybe they reach out when they need it, not just when they're scheduled. Um, mm. and in many cases, small town, uh, America, rural America, they don't have the resources in town. You don't have a, a psychiatrist in town. Um, gotcha. right. uh, you, the, the, the treatment clinic, uh, has a five week waiting, uh, waiting period, you know? So, wow. Do you have, um, can I, oh, can I fire off some more questions? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'd love to tell you a story too. Just a lot of you, you tell the story first that I got a few questions. Go for it. I'm yeah. now, now, now I'm definitely, you got me super intrigued now and I'm watching our time. Go for it. Tell the story first. <laughs> so a, a cool story, and this is a, a true story about one of our patients. So we have a patient who works in healthcare. Um, 
and has worked in healthcare for about 30 years. And he um, is in recovery, was in recovery before he started treatment with us. Uh, you know, in, he would go to a clinic to, um, uh, to do his recovery um, okay. for opioid use. So okay. he'd go to the clinic to get his medication and get his counseling and, you know, go about his day. But the challenge is he, lived in a sm- he, he lives in a small town and everybody knows who he is and they, could, they recognize his car and he's deathly afraid that yes. somebody would recognize who he was. So he would drive home, get his wife's car, drive his wife's car to the clinic, pull around to the back, park behind the clinic and go up See. through the basement into the clinic. Mm. So mm. there's your example of mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. it's like. And oh, by the way, go then imagine having to go pick up your medications at the, you know, the local pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I thought so, about all I thought about all of that this morning as I was preparing for this interview. I, that was some of the first stuff I was thinking about. I'm a, I'm from a small town in Oklahoma. That's where I grew up, and I thought about all of those things that you just described. All the stuff where people are trying to hide and not be seen, and and how your service you know solves all of that for them. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, tell me about the business model for you real quick, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, what, what's your business model? Is your business, is it a, is it a telehealth SaaS model that's reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid, um, primarily what, what's the model a little bit? How do you, how do you make money? Yeah. Good question. So, <laughs> uh, sometimes we're wondering that ourselves. Um, we, uh, yeah, we work uh, provider practice. So we're getting reimbursed by insurances um, okay. for the care that we're provided. We either contract or employ our healthcare providers to work with us. And then we also get uh, paid for dispensing medications from our pharmacy. Um, I see. I so see. most of our revenue is derived from that. It's, it's working with insurances to get reimbursed for the care we're providing. Well, yeah, but most of these people that are hooked on opioids, they don't have healthcare. What, how does that work? Well, so one of the things that we do is we work to advocate and help people with financial assistance and financial assistance isn't always, you know, we do things like we offer low cost um, cash pay plans, $50 a session okay. to, to get treatment, which is okay. less, many times it's less than the copay okay. um, uh, for an insurance. So we help people that way. But the other thing we do is we help them to get back on their feet, go apply for Medicaid. Um, and, and get coverage. So we help them through that process if we can. Um, and a lot of what we do is we're working with, with health partners um, in the community. So we work with community health centers, we work with hospitals, we work with primary care offices, places that don't do substance use treatment, right? I see. And when they refer patients to us, um, you know, maybe it's somebody who went through on an accidental overdose at a hospital, right? Okay. And they need okay. to get care. Uh-huh. They're referring the patient to us, but we're working as a team around this person. And the collaboration around them, in many respects, it kind of ends up with a you have a qualified patient, somebody that they're in, they're in the program, and now we're going to help them to get insurance. They're going to start to get back on their feet. Hopefully, they're going to get a job, and then they can pay for treatment. So we're pretty forgiving with that. We don't um, just say, hey, if you want to do our program, you got to pay 500 bucks up front, because we know that to your point, a lot of people are really down on their luck um, when they start. So um, mm, mm. yeah, and, and we're doing some things with grants as well. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, we, we're working closely um, 
so we just started a, a program with um, uh, Dr. Ernie Fletcher, who's the former governor in Kentucky. Um, they uh, they have in Kentucky a co uh, uh, an opioid response grant to uh, work on delivery models and educating you know rural primary care doctors on how to provide SUD treatment, and we're kind of repositioning some of that towards um, programs that rapidly triage people and get them into treatment like ours, um, where they can do it from home, which is especially timely because of COVID. Um, right. I, so that was going to be one of my questions. Ha, has your business just tripled in the last 90 days? I, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and is that, I got to ask you, that's got to be a very mixed, weird, emotional feeling for you, right? Uh, I, yeah. would, I would think that would have to be definitely like, okay, I'm, I'm waking up. I'm super happy that my business is tripling, but damn, it's, you know, it's also because of this pandemic, like that's gotta yeah. be a weird, how do you deal with that emotion? Well, it's funny. Cause you know, look, everybody um, in some way, shape or form is a little bit selfish. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, you think like, wow, I'm fortunate, right? I'm fortunate that I have something that is timely and it's resonating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're in a position where we're, we're doing, we're doing quite well. But, um, you know, I always run the risk of, I, I never want to say, look, the silver lining to a pandemic is that, um, you know, that, that we're doing better. It, that, the way that I try to think about it is the silver lining to the pandemic is that it broader acceptance of telehealth has resulted in our ability to go out and provide our care to more people and help more people into recovery. Bingo. And, you know, that's the God's honest truth. Yep. Um, Very and good. We really believe in that. And we believe in what we do. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing it um, if we didn't or we right. shouldn't be doing it. Right, um, right. Yep. So are you, that's, are you, that's the way I look at it. Are you... Um... I don't know how much of this you want to answer, answer. You don't have to answer it, but I'm just curious because you haven't been in business that long. Are you already cash flow positive or are you still, you know, raising capital and burning through some cash as you scale up the business? Where, where are you in the life cycle? Yeah. So because of everything that's going on, we've had to scale faster. So yep. we're, so we're still, we're still burning cash like a young company does. Yeah. Um, you know, when we did our, uh, our raise, we've got really great people around the table that are That's very, good. very supportive of what we do. Um, you know, that understand the mission, they understand the vision of it and they're in it for the long haul, which is exciting. Very good. Um, but you know, the, the, the kind of the, the biggest thing that's come out of it is because the, de the demand quite frankly is overwhelming every day. We're like, that's so know, great. it's like, we've that's got so great. much going on. That, that's so great. Um, so we're looking at it as now is the time to just scale and grow faster. And if we have to go and, you know, yes. raise more capital or do what we have to do, then, then we will. Um, I, I would, I would, I just read a fascinating article the other day. Uh, you know, the most common reason for success in startups, you know, and it, it, the article made you pick, was it capital? Was it people? Was it the idea or was it the timing? Mm -hmm. And it made you pick the four, right? ends up ends up that it's timing is usually number one, you know, it just happened, yeah. it happened, it happened to hit right, right at a certain time, you know, I mean, they're all close in rank, but 
Uh, sure. so, uh, so are there competitors? You don't have to name the competitors, but are you thinking, is, is this a race to scale as fast as possible because there will be a lots of competition or do you have something that's protected or patented or, you know, secret sauce formula? What, how, how does that work? So we, we have some pretty neat things that are in the works in turn. And so, you know, one of the, you know, kind of tenets of being a technology enabled service provider is mm -hmm, that you mm -hmm. toe the line, you're providing services, but you're also the technology can't mm -hmm. let either falter. So we're, we're trying to innovate what we do. We want to really bring up the digital health aspect of what we do. So bring patients more self-guided resources, um, things that can help them in their recovery that is not treatment while they're also getting treatment with us. So that's a differentiator that we're trying to uh, continue to foster uh, through our team here. Um, and the pharmacy is another big differentiator. The, the, the delivery model for the medications, because of what I mentioned earlier, it's just so challenging for people to go get meds at their local pharmacy. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's a big differentiator. Um, what I would say is this space, there are, look, there are more uh, providers doing telehealth than ever before because right. of COVID. Yes. But many of them are doing it begrudgingly. <laughs> um, gotcha. You know, it's they're retain. They want to retain their patients. They're not really sure if they, if telehealth is a viable modality. We're a believer in it. Um, uh, yeah. And so we're doing a lot of research behind what we do and really trying to make sure that everything that we're advancing is um, in the be best interest of patient care. But we're in it for the long haul. So we want to continue to innovate and be looked to as subject matter experts in it. Um, I think that there, so there are competitors in our space that are doing what we're doing in some way, shape or form. I tend to not really call, think of them as competitors because the problem is so damn big mm -hmm. that there's plenty to go around, right? right? Um, yeah. Okay. And okay. so we've already kind of formed friendly relationships with other, other groups oh. that are doing this and we trade notes. Um, and right now, I know it's super early, but does Nick does Nick uh, have something whiteboarded out? You know, five year plan, hit this mark, sell, or right now you're just you're just having fun building it and just good day to day. Yeah, we're having fun building it. We definitely want to bring this to as many people as we can. Um, okay. You know, okay. there's a, a certainly a huge regulatory hurdle in 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 terms of substance use disorder treatment, telehealth, uh, controlled substances. So we're constantly uh, working to advocate on behalf of our patients and, and make some advancements in that. Not every state is as friendly to what we do as, as the ones that we're working in. Um, mm. So, mm. but my big vision is that this is something that will cross all state lines. Anybody can access it um, and see a benefit from it. And I think that um, we also want, we don't want to go around and compete with clinics. Um, okay. You know, brick and mortar in-person care, some, some folks need it. And sometimes we determine somebody that comes to us, we say, look, we, we think you'd really benefit from seeing somebody in person. Um, you know, they, they need a physical exam or they just need the human contact. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they're living in isolation for instance. So, so we, um, my long-term vision is I don't want to go around. I get asked like, are you trying to go around and, you know, put clinics out of business or right. I don't want to do that at all. What I'd rather do is open up our telehealth platform and, and how we deliver care to others so that they can use it as well. And, 
and then kind of, um, uh, you know, bring others along for the ride. I think what you're doing is fantastic, my friend. I, if for the listeners out there, you may not be able to relate, but if you've ever had a family member or a friend hooked on painkillers of any kind, and you've ever seen what it can do to their life, uh, you know, the, 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 then you'll have you'll have a better idea of what Nick's building, and I've and I've seen that. I I had a an old high an old high school friend of mine um, years ago. You know, looked looked me up, and uh, and he befriended me specifically because he was hooked on pain meds, and he was looking for angles to you know borrow cash and do all the things that people do when they're hooked on uh, hooked on it, and. Uh, I saw what it did to his family and his life. And it's a terrible thing. Really. It's a terrible, terrible situation. Um, so I think what you're doing is fantastic. How many, can I ask you this? How many downloads of the app on, on the apps on uh, iTunes or Google play or whatever? So that- I have a, a, a weird, maybe counterintuitive um, thought process. I actually don't, my team tracks this stuff. I make a point not to track our downloads. Oh, okay. And I do, I do like to know how many patients we have in treatment and okay, what the, okay. our retention in treatment is. That's a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. How well are we right. providing care? Right. But I, if I get too hungry about the numbers of, of total I'm people, down. I'll yeah. see it at the end in the financials, you know, <laughs> figure it out. But I don't, um, I, I rely on them to tell me what's our, you know, the cost to acquire a patient, right? Okay. Um, what do we have to spend in advertising? What, and then try to work with them on the strategy behind that. But I try not to get too uh, into the, you know, okay, we've got okay. 5,000 downloads or whatever. <laughs> I have two final questions. I know we're almost out of time, but before I ask you, I just want to say, I love the story of your dad and the fact that now you've followed in his footsteps as an entrepreneur and you and him both had the balls to start something, which it really takes guts to do it. And, and it's not, it's not easy, right? We didn't even get into all the scary moments and all the shit you've been through to get it to this point. We didn't have time to get into that. And so I really respect the fact that you uh, have done that and, and you followed in your dad's footsteps on that entrepreneurial uh, journey. Is he still alive, by the way? Is he, he still he good? Is, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he, awesome. He, he'd like hearing that. Okay. You know, that's, he'll, that's, he'll, that's, he'll claim it was all because of him. Oh, <laughs> uh, we should have had him as like as like a little mini guest to pop in for five oh, minutes. God. But oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> Two final questions: If you could call the hockey player going to Fairfield when he was eighteen years old and tell him anything, what would you tell him? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, if I could call the the younger version of myself, um, I would probably tell myself, look, keep going after whatever you want to go after. You're going to figure it out. And all the experiences along the way are going to help you there anyways. Um, I, I would probably go ahead and mention that uh, through the process, you're probably, you know, going to get told you're doing the wrong thing a lot. You're, (laughs) you're not, quite good enough or you're not quite smart enough or you're not going to get this promotion so start building your armor today because that's just it comes part and parcel to uh, the experience of kind of growing up as a professional right or you Um, got that right (laughs) so that's i think what i would do and how about this (laughs) and how about this um if you had to put your 
core purpose in life right now into a sentence or two, what would that sound like? I, so it's pretty simple. I think that everything that uh, gives me purpose in life, it revolves around helping other people. Um, and, uh, you know, I went through my own uh, really challenging health, <laughs> health crisis had nothing to do with substance use disorder. Um, you know, I, I had ulcerative colitis and I developed mm. it at a young age and it, mm. it got worse and worse. And I had serious surgeries and life-threatening issues. And, and, you know, I made, I made it through cause I had really good healthcare and people that were in my corner and looking out for me. Mm-hmm. And so everything that, that I do from a professional standpoint, you know, or, um, really in anything else, I, I get the most uh, joy out of helping other people. And that goes for my employees too. I always tell them, and I don't say it just to say it, that I work for them, you know, and we're going to be successful because of them. It's really not because of me, other than the fact that I'm, I'm trying to build a really good team. Mm. So good stuff, my friend, you are helping people and saving lives, by the way, let's throw that in there too. Congratulations, Nick, on everything you guys are doing at Pursue Care. And by the way, it is PursueCare.com, or you can you know, check the app store and download it there. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the RiderFlex podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.